It's one of the most horrific stories you'll ever hear. It's oh, no. terrible. And they do not talk about it very often. Well, are we going to talk about it right here? Right now. Start the show oh. before I'm ready. Is this mic you want closer to me? Or you want a fire? Okay, sure. I just don't want to repeat my comfort. Okay. Did you get a thumbs up? Is no, everybody... one, no one was ready. No one's giving thumbs I'm up. I'm ready. Yeah. We've What's... already started as far as I'm concerned. No, me too, but he's getting signals. What uh, is the signal? Kyle's just saying if it could be a little bit closer. You want closer to the, the microphone? Closer. Because uh, Kyle, our sound guy, doesn't. <laughs> really he turned close. his hearing aids off. I see. I see. Is that all right? I give you plenty of fucking levels, so there'd be no problem there. Perfect. Good. Thanks for coming. Wow. Thank you. I'm so This is Howie Mandel Does Stuff. I'm Howie Mandel. I'm his daughter, Jacqueline Schultz. And this is the lovely Penn Jillette. Lovely and talented Penn Jillette. I think that goes without saying. Well, I did, I'd like you to say it. I think people know you're talented. I don't think people know you're lovely. I'm so lovely. And stupendous. I don't know if I'm, I, stupendous, I draw the line. I, and there are things that I didn't know about you that even on the way in, I learned. That, that? That he is a, a professor? No, visiting scholar. Visiting scholar at MIT. I'm not a visiting, a visit at MIT. He's a oh. visiting scholar. Massachusetts scho Institute of oh. Technology. That's a big deal. That's uh, a big deal. How does, I where suppose. did you go to college? I did not. <laughs> I did not. I finished high school in a plea bargain. I did not do well. But So um, what is your course that you teach uh, as a scholar at I, MIT? Uh, the Media Lab. I had a lot of friends there. We developed uh, technology there, um, running um, running electricity. It's the same thing that allows you people to uh, for airbags to go off. But we used it to trigger sensors. And because we were working at MIT to do that for a TED Talk, I think the second or third year they did TED, way, way back, they put us on visiting scholars to allow us to do that. And we were just, we weren't actually teaching. We were working with them on technology that we did. I have no idea what you're saying. I am so confused. Why would they call on a <laughs> Las Vegas magician to run electricity? What the hell is wrong with these people? Um, I'll tell you, I had a lot of friends out of MIT. And okay. Ted wanted a TED Talk from Penn and Teller, like year three, when it was right. still like Bill Gates and Jobs and all those people. Right. And so we got the idea of doing an opera that would be a seance. And there were people there, uh, Todd, Mac, Todd Macover had done uh, 12-tone opera. Uh, really complicated stuff with installations. And I knew Todd Macover and his work. So Todd, Teller, and I started working on an opera. And then we decided to build into that a sensor chair, which would be a way to play an instrument like in a very advanced theremin, you know, where you where it senses you in the air and decides this is uh, amplitude. The theremin, for those that don't know, is that... Yeah, it's that stick. We've had people on AGT that use it. It looks like a... It's what... You don't touch it, and it makes those electronic sounds. Yeah, it, A it, theremin. Somebody put up a theremin on YouTube just so that the, the, our, uh, our... Many, many people think that good vibrations oh, is a theremin. Uh, good vibrations by the Beach Boys is not a theremin, but it is a patch of a synthesizer to sound like a theremin. I don't think people have given it that much thought. Some people have. You haven't given it that much I thought. I don't think our listeners have. But Here's some... a theremin. Here is somebody playing a theremin just for the, I'm just, because not only are we entertaining, we're hopefully educating. I could be a scholar. You could. Yes, okay. But not at MIT. Community college. Well, just uh, at, at my, at my T. Sure. At my... So, um. It's there's no up. sound. There's no sound. Just we, static. We wanted to do, uh, Teller, Teller has a theremin. He has one? Yeah, and he plays it. 
Um, it's funny that we have it's also oh, there it is. And that it's played without being touched. So you're doing the pitch typically pitch with one hand box with and you're doing the uh, the volume with another an electromagnetic field. Well, where do you like I see that she's doing that but the instrument and moves his you can hit specific notes. Oh, sh well, you have to have very good pitch. Capacitor between his hands and the antennas. Wow. The capacitance of the Okay, so you so wanted the, to do the okay, idea was, you could turn it off now. The idea was uh, could we make a very advanced theremin where you could do triggers all over? So we wrote this opera with a magic trick uh, where we brought uh, Houdini back from the dead. And uh, I was singing and Teller played the trumpet and there was all the, and I was in the theremin chair. Well, the capacitors, it turned out after we worked on it for a long time that essentially what's happening is uh, you are, your density in space is being picked up by the sensors, right? So you can play the music. So, so it ends up working really well for airbags because you do not want an airbag to go off of a child's in a seat because it will injure them worse than the accident. But you do want an airbag of people over so the density of the body can be sensed. So the patent for, um, for what is used in cars to... Um, to decide whether to trigger, trigger an airbag or not is actually from the same that our sensor chair way back in the 90s. So wait, did. you have? do you have that patent? No, I have a patent, but not that one. But uh, I am on the work that the patent is, is cited for. I believe the patent is with MIT. And you were one of the original. Uh, I was on one the of the team. people. I was on the team, but I didn't do. I didn't do any of the uh, the smart so, work. But I was the dumb guy on the team. Well, what, doesn't sound like it. I, well, I was. No, but think about this. <laughs> the airbag the is universally. Um, uh, it's important. Deployed. To I was save just trying. I was trying to make jokes, and they ended up saving lives. But you know what. But you were part of the team that yes, saved. You're I was like part, a, I had I no was, idea. I was the person sitting in the chair that did the capacitors. That is, I was using airbags first. Put it that way. Except I was using it to trigger James Brown triggers in an opera about Houdini, who was dead at Ted. But you never. That's the beauty. What I always say, people just do it. Well, I don't say that. Nike does. But you don't know. <laughs> do you that, know where Nike got that logo? Yeah, that, 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 the logo, not the, the logo. swish. The, no, there's not the swish. I'm sorry. Where they got that tagline? Just do it. No, it is one it's of the, you. It is, is it you and a TikTok? It's <laughs> one of the most horrific stories you'll ever hear. Oh, it's no. terrible, and they do not talk about it very often. Are we going to talk about it right here? Right now, Gary, it's a horrific story. Gary Gilmore. Remember Gary Gilmore? Gary Gilmore. Gary the, Gilmore the, was the person shot in a firing squad. He's right. The, he's he's the one that. Um, that Norman Mailer wrote the book about. He also claimed to be, to tie it all together, Houdini's um, great nephew or something. He wasn't, he was alive. Why was Gary Gilmore uh, shot at, by a firing squad? He was, he was put to death and he insisted on it being a firing squad. And there were lots of constitutional, whether that was his right to do what, that. He was the last person, the last uh, American. Uh, sadly, not the last person put to death by us. Right, but by, by, by firing, firing squad. squad yeah. And what was he charged with? Uh, I think he was a murderer. Uh, it's not the most interesting part of the story. He, he, had, he had capital crimes. He had capital crimes. Okay. And um, what year was this? Oh, Jesus. That would have been... Before uh, Nike, obviously. 70s? Oh, so Adidas were already around. I want to know what he was charged with. Well, we're going to put... The, okay. the idea is 
You well, we're going to get to the most interesting part, but I'm a true crimes fan. I want to know what he was charged well, with. Well, you can't be a true crimes fan, can you really? She is. I am a fan of true crime. But you don't, you mean literature about them. Right. She actually like the loves the crime. She no. loves the crime. <laughs> no, I don't. I she listen to a lot torture. of true crime podcasts and stuff like that. So, like, the stories that go along with it. What was he? I did. Uh, there I, he is, right there. I he, did a thing. Uh, off Broadway uh-huh. years ago, called Exonerated, where uh, we talked about people who had been on death row and been exonerated, and I played the part of one of the uh, one of the characters. It was really hard to to read about it and study it. And it is, and you're leaving out the most important part. That became the seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fenders. It was fenders. Yeah, it was fenders. Um, and Gary Gilmore, um, his last words as he stood in front of the firing floor, oh, no. were, just do it. Just do it. No way, that's not where it came from. That's not and, where it came from. And <laughs> in a ill-conceived interview, the person at, at an, an, an Nike that came up with that said he was inspired by Gary Gilmore no. as it was a really catchy phrase. <laughs> you know what's funny too? Because what? you mentioned that phrase all the time you know that that as like your go-to. She's telling you the truth. If anybody asks me advice, I say my credo in life, my philosophy in life is Nike's. Just do it. And now you no, just ruined my now whole. Now you just say is Gary Gilmore's. It's Gary. You just say my daughter. She loves crime and people <laughs> killing people, and I love people being killed for killing that can't people. Be it. So I'm with Gary. G- okay, then it's not. What I mean, I only Look read. It, up. I only read it one source. Look up Nike Gary Gilmore. Type in those. Well, things. we do, and well, type in Nike is this a Gary Gilmore. Theory that you've started? no, here, this I is think not it is. Mandela. It's not conspiracy. No, because the, the Gary Gilmore, which I did just look up on Twitter, said, "Let's do it. Just do it." How murderer Gary uh, uh, Gilmore's final words: demanding, demanding firing squad officers pull their triggers. Inspired, inspired Nike's, Nike's famous, famous slogan. slogan. <laughs> Almost exactly what I said, it and was- it's in the Daily Mail. It's not in like the Inquirer or something. <laughs> it's the Daily Mail. It's an and the guy paper. who fired the whole shot is a manager at McDonald's where he says, we'll do it your way. Yeah, exactly. Or Burger King. <laughs> Burger King. Yes. <laughs> Burger King would have played that joke accurately. This... Burger King, yeah. Yes. We'll do it your this, way. This brings me so much joy and is so funny to me because that's of how many times I'm never gonna he's say probably it again. been quoted saying that that's his go-to That is slogan. my go-to <laughs> slogan. I live my whole life by Gary Gilmore's last line in life. <laughs> it's really, it's really uh, uh, did you read Execution? Executioner's song. The, I saw the movie, the Norman uh, Norman Mailer book. But it's a is movie. really astonishing. Well, it's yeah, but it's also a book. I find that the books ruin the movies for me. <laughs> <laughs> I always read the book after and go, "This is not as good as the movie." They didn't follow the plot of the movie. I, they shortened it. They cut shit out. It's not as good as the movie. They never shortened. Okay, tell me about Norman out. Norman Mailer. Uh, Executioner's song is. Um, <laughs> Is a is a really, really interesting book because it follows Gary Gilmore's um, demand to be executed, and the idea is 
can you demand capital punishment? And of course, you really can't. You do not. You do not have the right to have yourself killed. But he found an obscure. Was it Colorado? I don't really know much about this case. It's. I think it was Colorado. <laughs> Obviously, you don't get your facts right. Man. I think it was Colorado. Um, was it Colorado, guys? Are you and, um, and it says uh, there is a st statute there that is confusing as to whether the. Uh, uh, perpetrator is allowed to pick how he gets killed. And Gary Gilmore did not want gas chamber. Uh, he did not want uh, injection. He wanted to be shot by a firing squad. And I, I think I need to say this now because um, I just don't want to be misunderstood. I am anti-death penalty in so any I. situation. I mean, if I saw bin Laden kill my whole family in front of me, I want him to live. There is no really? exception to the death penalty. Not even that's an exception. There is no exception. Uh, there's no exception whatsoever. If it is wrong to kill, it is wrong to kill. Thou shall not kill. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know what a good Christian I am. Uh, <laughs> He's a, uh, for those that don't know, he's an atheist. Uh, yeah. Yes. Hardcore atheist. Hardcore. I was asked extreme by, I was atheism. Asked, I was asked by Joy Behar of all people, right. scholar Joy Behar. Wow. Gary Gilmore said, to Joy Behar. How do we said, make that? There, there's there's like a half an inch there. You know that yeah. at best. Uh, and she said, "You're described as a hardcore atheist. What does that mean?" And I said, "It means I don't really believe other people believe." Really? I think that a lot of people who claim to be Christian claim to be any of the Mediterranean death cults. It gets more complicated. But it doesn't have to be Christianity. That's why I said the Mediterranean death cults, which is, uh, you know, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, those. Well, can I just say something? To not believe that they believe, and not that I'm a, a, a religious zealot or not, but I'm talking about other people's belief. Mm -hmm. uh, we, and, and we being the collective Jews, um, are you, willing and you are to, the spokesperson for the Jews? No, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to talk by, about from example. Okay. Uh, my parents mm -hmm. were willing to cut off the end of my penis. Uh -huh. That's how much they believed. But here's so. I'm an atheist, and I would right now cut off the end of your penis oh. with no hesitation whatsoever. <laughs> oh, why? For fun, recreationally, if you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be mutual consent. Okay. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm telling you, we would get a lot of views, Holly. I think well, I, I want to do it on the podcast. No, I think you should do it. I'll circumcision on the podcast? Oh, no, no, no. We can't do circumcision because that's been done. Oh. From what I remember. So what... Are well, you circumcised? Uh, yes. Why? Because, if you because didn't believe. It was part... Because I wasn't, I was a consultant, <laughs> consultant at the age of. But you're not. Your your family was not Jewish. No. So I, mean, I don't mean to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was considered. I mean, I'm wicked old. I was born in 1955. So was I. You know that. We're the same yeah. age. And then it was considered. So you're not wicked old. You are. You're tall for your age. Yes, I am. Yes. And, and I read at a 68 year old level. Um, wow. I, I'm ahead of myself. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was considered to be a health thing at that time. Really? The propaganda was considered oh, yeah. to be a health thing. Oh, yeah. Cold and flu season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold and flu season. But uh, I'll just cut I the say, end of your penis off. Wait, you think that's propaganda? You don't believe that anymore? Uh, no, like, I, th I you... think circumcision is a very bad idea. I think. It is. I think so. Why? 
why would you do body mutilation on an infant? I think you have to make the argument of why you would do it, not why you wouldn't. I'm I letting know. you. Okay, go. You go I first. Know. You go first. For um, ridicule in the future <laughs> from women. What? From ridicule in the future from women. So you think your parents <laughs> are qualified to make the decision in infancy uh -huh. as to what adult women that you may have sex with are going to desire? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do not think you have that right. Um, I would not. I don't want know. You. I'm trying to come up with a good a... reason as to why I got my son circumcised. Oh, bad idea! It was a okay. very bad idea. It was. Yeah. Why? Uh, because... Should I feel bad? Yes, you should. You're 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 uh, decreasing sexual pleasure. Uh huh. You're decreasing sexual pleasure. Uh, you are. You took a chance at diseases, and you took a chance at mutilation going badly, which happens pretty often. More likely if done by Jews instead of by a hospital. A it was a hospital. Moyles, Moyles was... make big mistakes, and Moyles also spread herpes. I also don't oh, know. that's no, when they that, sucked the blood. Wait, that was, that was in, that New, was, New York. happened in New York. It happened a lot of places. Really? Yeah, yeah sure. No, a lot of a lot people of don't let the Moyles suck the blood. Right, but it is part of the ritual. <laughs> oh my God. No, that's an extreme ritual. Right, but it's part of the extreme ritual. You didn't let anybody suck the blood out of your son it was done in a hospital it wasn't right. a bridge oh, so we right. didn't see right no no but uh we have we did a we did a bullshit episode on cutting off uh you know general mutilation on children i believe the say it's exactly the same as female female genital mutilation which of course is done still heavily in islam okay so i'm gonna ask another question because this is a heavily debated topic in my household now mm -hmm. um how about getting your dog fixed then i have, I have no opinion on animals Oh, just humans. <laughs> really? really? I don't. I don't know enough about it. I don't have an opinion. I don't. I don't like. I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of pets. So I'm not someone who would know enough about that. Right. Wow. I am. Okay. I am ignorant. Okay. You're not. You're anything but ignorant. But you. But you know what? I always. I'm uh, ignorant about this subject. Yeah, I'm but I know. I think the smartest people in the world are the people that are smart enough to know what they don't know. I don't know that. Well, that's all you get to know on Jeopardy. All you got to know is what you know. You don't need to know it. That's when you hit the buzzer. Wow, how to win Jeopardy. You got a book uh, coming out. How to win? No, I already won Jeopardy. But did you win on Jeopardy? Yeah, but celebrity Jeopardy. Can, so can what does that count? mean? They lowered the uh, Sure. I'm, I'm the bell curve. The guy was on Star Trek or something. Yeah. Um, but I did win. Well, somebody who's in Star Trek, they know space. <laughs> Engineering. And... They've been on the final frontier. Yes. But um I I don't want to I don't want to leave it as disrespectful as I did. To with what? Uh with the um uh, I I Barry felt Gilmore, the, the, the penises. The way I the way I stated it was very disrespectful because I didn't finish the uh, the thought. When I said I don't believe other people believe, uh I certainly take people at their word. I mean, all of my friends say well, that's... Obama's an atheist, and he just said he was Christian to be elected. I don't go with that. I give him the respect. What I'm talking about is if I believed that there was uh, a force in the universe, a personal God that had control over eternity and heaven and hell, I find it very startling to me and bothersome to me that anyone can break any rule by that. If I actually believed any of that, you could not have gotten me into premarital sex. The entire cast of kink.com couldn't have gotten me into premarital sex if I believed that the 
eternity rested on it. it it's but like, here's what it's here's like, what I will say. You know, and and this is kind of uh, Judaic, so I do take them at their word. Ju- Judaic teaching is, and that's why there isn't even a, a word or an image or a, a, is that you do believe in a power greater than us, and whether that power is science, whether that power well, that's more that's more AA than it is Judaism. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, I mean that the the higher power being. Um, being, uh, uh... See, I think the rules of religion mm-hmm. are man-made and uh, open for interpretation. Okay. Well, once you've said that, you've you've negated essentially Judeo-Christian ethics. Why? Because Am they I in trouble say, now. They say that you're you're definitely going to hell now. I mean, if there were a Jewish hell. This is your interpretation of Judaism. No. So you're, you're, I'm you're just saying that everybody interprets, if there's, everybody believes there's one answer, but there's so many different answers in our well, world. Well, you know, there, there, there's that wonderful story that, you, I mean, you like just do it to live your life. <laughs> Not anymore. I, I, like, I believe in Gary Gilmore. You and Gary Gilmore. But I love the story of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the two men who are having a strong disagreement, and one goes to the... Uh, to the rabbi and explains his side of the story. And the rabbi says, you're right. And the other person, his adversary, comes in and explains the whole story. And the rabbi says, you're right. And his wife, the rabbi's wife, who's overheard this, said, well, they both can't be right. They can't both be right. And the rabbi says, you're right. You're right. Even when I'm at my hand sanitizer bar, I love wearing my Shady my shady Rays. And we always talk about Shady Rays. And Jackie talks about her Shady Rays. And people have been commenting, what about the rest of the staff? How do they feel about Shady Rays? Well, Cindy? Thanks, Howie. I'd like to take the time to tell you all about Shady Rays. Kick the new year off with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades customizable snow goggles, and so much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear that we've ever seen. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. That means... If you lose or even break a pair on the very first day, second day, third, any day, they told us they'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. They also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date. Look good in your gear and feel good by making an impact. Now I love my Shady Rays. But if you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair, or you can even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners only, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code HOWIE for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Thanks, and back to you, Howie. Thank you, Cindy. I, I think there's a sh- tremendous amounts of wisdom in more uh, the, the the culture of Judaism than in the, the Talmud and all that. But there's a, a huge amount of wisdom 
incredible amounts of wisdom. I think there's a lot of wisdom in everybody's teaching in every religion. It's like like you said, your guy, Gary Gilmore, a lot of wisdom in killing people and then having the state kill you. Everybody has wisdom. That's your point, right? And that's why you quote Gary Gilmore all the time. All the time. I have no idea. The circle of life? Or is that the circle of death? (laughs) You you have a book. You just have a book. I have a book out called Random. And it is, but not... It's a novel. Not to be confused with Random House, the publisher. <laughs> right, not, not to be confused. That, Wasn't that a great name for a publisher, though? Random House? Like, I heard Random House my whole life, and I never really parsed the words. And then I thought, how hip is that to call your publishing company Random House? We just, I don't know why I, we do it. It's just kind of random. In fact, you're amazed that the people that are, have a publishing company are so liter- <laughs> literal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, literate and literal. Yes. But yeah, I got, I got a book out. It's a what's, novel. What's and by, Random... Uh, by, uh, my uh, my uh, my books of essays sell very well and make me a lot of money. My novels, which there have been two of, uh, don't sell that well. Don't make me a lot of money, but I, I enjoy them very, very but much. But you get it published. Oh, yeah. And they do well. The first printings you sold out and stuff. But it's, you know, it's a smaller thing. It's not New York Times bestseller list. Which my other After ones this podcast, it's going oh, to be. Oh, of course <laughs> it will. But I, I was really... Um, what is the concept? A concept is someone who, uh, who, who gives their life over to random choices. Uh, the idea of it is that whenever we make a choice, you know, Marvin Minsky at MIT, let's tie it all together, uh, talks about a society of mind, that you essentially have a voting system in your head. That's one way to look at it. And when you decide on what you want to do, you pick the thing you want to do most. That's obvious. But... There's a lot of things that you really sincerely wanted to do, you just didn't want to do the most. So that's, on, on the throw of two dice, of course, there's a bell curve with seven at the top and 12 and two at either side, that it, that at least likely, that was about like 2.65% of the time each one, and the one in the center is almost half. So uh, instead of making the decision every time to do the thing you want to do most, you lay out all things you sincerely want to do. You don't do anything you don't want to do, but you lay them out on that bell curve of how much you want to do them, and then you roll the dice and immediately act on that choice. And I have um, I have set up a situation where my protagonist, uh, Bobby Ingersoll, is put in a very high-stress situation and then decides at a very young age to give his entire life to chance. So whenever he needs to make a decision that he's not sure of, that's important part, he lays out what the possibilities are, and then he rolls the dice and acts immediately. Now, this is not something I invented. Um, who's the guy? Uh, Bushnell, who uh, who invented the uh, Commodore computer and also Chuck E. Cheese. Um, <laughs> uh, true? He's, a bil- he's a billionaire. He's, okay. a, he's a billionaire. The wealth of knowledge that comes from He's a billionaire. Yeah. He lives. He You're li- like a living, breathing Google man. He lives, yeah. he lives his life at random. He throws he really dice. does? So that question, where the fuck did Chuck E. Cheese come from, is answered very clearly. He rolled dice. Um, Bill Murray lives his life at times at random. And there are, there are other people that do that. I do not do it myself, but I do carry uh, with me, I carry dice. Why? Just in case Wait, I it's a con- you mean a conscious decision to live your life at, at random. random? Yeah. Okay. So my character, uh, it's it's a detective story. It's uh, I like to think it's a little bit funny. Uh, is about a character who uh, lives his life at random. It's rather philosophical too, because the idea 
any business person will tell you that very often, it's not a complete rule, but very often making a suboptimum decision earlier will give you better results than making the optimum decision a little later. And acting without doubt will often give you optimum results, even if you're a little bit wrong. Uh, doubt and, uh, and uh, hesitation really do hurt you in many sort of interactions. Thinking hurts you. Yeah. So you should, should just, just do, do it. it. Just <laughs> <laughs> you, you were bending. That's all you were thinking about. No, I was going blah, 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 blah. And you were going, I'm going to get in. Just do it. Why are you carrying dice? Uh, because I've been working on a trick with them that I'm not really that good at. But because I get asked about dice all the time because this book's out, I've got a book reading tonight that I thought maybe I would do a trick with dice and tell her who is uh, recovering from a quadruple bypass. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, is I he was, good? He's doing great. I was over uh, I was over his house, and I made – there's a little bit of jealousy here. I was over in Spain with the fabulous magician, and I said, you know, I, I could use a dice trick because I'm doing some TV stuff, and it's all about dice, my book. I probably need a dice trick. And this um, wonderful magician, Hondro, good friend of mine, very – probably one of the most famous magicians in Spain and one of the best magicians in the world said to me, what about this dice trick? We worked it out. We were on a train, worked it out. And I said, yeah, yeah I'll do that. And I was going to do it on the Today Show. So I went over to visit Teller. And I said to Teller, uh, Tondro gave me this trick. And Teller kind of went, I, I have a better trick than that you can do. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, Teller, uh, Teller gave me a trick with dice that is more complicated than what Hondro gave me, but I've been practicing. So I carry dice in my pocket. And it's dice in my pocket, and still, I'm happy to see you. <laughs> it is dice in my pocket. Is that the, you get what he did there? <laughs> I get it. You are probably one of the most interesting, you are like one of the most interesting men in the world because you have this plethora of random. Oh, there you go. It's a plug for my book. It is. And you know, as far as random, you're thinking about buying it? Just do it. <laughs> Amazon. We can make it the bestseller right now. Right now. Go. You know, it, it, because I knew that when I wrote a book, when I wrote, uh, I wrote my biography, they said, "Oh, you're number one on Amazon." Then you realize, to get to be number one on Amazon at any given moment, if three people buy your book and there aren't three people buying another book, right. you're number one. It yeah. doesn't mean you sold also, a million. They also do. Uh, you know, it's like weather records. In Utah, you know, uh, I was number one for a long time in dark comedy crime fiction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, who am I competing against exactly there? You know, I'm not I'm not competing against George Saunders there. You know, I'm not I'm competing against this very specific thing. And for a long time, I was the number one selling book in uh, Oklahoma. Instead of writing a book, I think I'm going to write a category. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to write a category. I will be the be number you. one best-selling category. Do they have very specific categories? For you just heard. That's what too? I said. No, for podcasts too. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, no, it's 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 broader than that. Aww. I mean, they have they have true crime, which is your thing. That's now you podcast. said you like to read about true crime. You don't actually do it. Is that right? Listen to true crime. Okay. You don't. You're actually not a criminal. Is what he's asking. I'm not a criminal. Well, but you I... certainly are a criminal. We certainly know that there is no person in the United States that could not be busted for something in any second. That's one of the problems with having so many laws. I'm wondering what I could be busted for. Well, you don't know. That's the whole point. Uh, many of the founding fathers wrote that 
once the government got enough laws that no person could be sure they were innocent, that's when problems would stop, would start. And with, with, with all the tax stuff and all the uh, regulations, we're almost certainly breaking laws. Oh, I hear that all the time on true crime things when they want to get him on something, but they I don't, don't have that yet. So they like get him on something else to hold them until they prove them I on that thing. I hate that more than anything. That is a thinking of the end justifies the means. And the end justifies the means is always immoral. There are no ends. There are only means. And the idea that you've got someone that you think is guilty of murder and you want to get them on tax evasion in the meantime, no, that is wrong. That's it is? morally wrong. Is it morally wrong to get them did. off the street? Well, what if you don't, you haven't but developed? No, no, no. You don't, have the, you, don't have the, you don't have the right to get them off the street until you can prove it. What if you know that you need to accumulate this amount of facts? Accumulate to, it. But I mean, I'm going to ask you not as a, uh, a scholar. I'm not I'm gonna, a scholar. No, but you, yes, you are at MIT. You said you are. No, I said visiting scholar. Well, you're visiting me, <laughs> and you're a scholar. But but what I'm saying is, uh, as a parent, you I am know, a parent. I know you are. <laughs> More than a scholar, I'm a parent. It, that's apparent, but but the, but the point that I'm making is, if you know that amongst your family, who you should feel like protecting more than anything in the mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. if within that uh, at, at that space there is somebody that can do harm to your family. Mm -hmm. You know that for a fact, but it's going to take you some time to accumulate those facts. But in the meantime, you have the ability to get them away to keep your family safe on another fact that mm -hmm. has nothing to do with the main fact. Mm -hmm. Don't you, you, you're not for no, that? You're not, but you're not talking about our legal system here. Yeah, I am. If you want to get a murderer off the street, but you don't have... You don't. Right, but who, who, who is the one who knows for sure someone is guilty? Who are you giving that power to? The, our legal system. The, and, the detectives. And our the, legal system has never for sure known that information. That information is unknowable. It's only what they can prove that matters. Right. But sometimes the it, – it, do you not – will you not acquiesce to the fact that sometimes we do know and we just haven't – because of the time, we haven't accumulated everything we know to make what we know stick. Right. But who are you saying we are in that knows? I don't think there's ever been a time in American history where the entire voting public has agreed on one thing. So who is the we there? Are you saying you trust one police officer who is absolutely sure someone is guilty? You're sitting even if Even if that particular person might have some prejudices that you aren't fond of maybe they are sure that person is guilty because they're not comfortable with their race or the way they look or something like that the, what we're trying do you to think, do do you think oj did up, it uh, i think the the uh, the the outcome of the trial was exactly right no i do too okay because that's the question they were asked i don't have the information of whether oj did it if i had to guess recreationally just among friends yes almost certainly but the trial went exactly right See, that's all I'm saying. We're saying the same thing. We are. In a kind of a more entertaining way. <laughs> right? That's why we're here. Your show is going for another season, right? Uh, I think they've said, oh, yeah, but they haven't actually signed papers and stuff. So we're hoping to do another season to fool us. Yeah. And I was fool just us. on. I was just on. Uh, I was just filling in for Simon Cowell. On, on the magic show. Britain's, Britain's got talent. Yeah. Yeah. I sat in his chair. And what, what is that like? 
sitting in his chair? Yeah, it's like it's filled with like orange peels. In your chair. <laughs> yes. I would imagine oh, you. Oh, I also saw you. I, now, I mean, I'm, I don't want to put you on the spot here. You can. Make you uncomfortable at I'm all. I'm never getting I live uncomfortably. I believe that America's Got Talent, the best hunk I've ever seen on there, certainly by a magician, but maybe Is me. in general. I am the best hunk that anybody has ever seen. <laughs> I think my dear friend, one of my closest friends, Piff the Magic Dragon, yeah. when he had Mr. Piffles pour the drink for you, Oh, that was great. Uh, I think it was I one, love of the Piff. one of the nicest tongues. He is a great, great man. He a is not only a great man, he's incredibly talented. He's coming to do the podcast. He's incredibly talented. He's incredibly funny, like you guys. Really funny. And I love, I think you were the first uh, magicians I was aware of. I didn't really follow magic as a young person. Um, but you were the first magicians that that kind of crossed the line between magic and comedy, I oh, thought. I mean, there's probably predecessors. Yeah, there certainly are. But, but I, I don't know that they, they rose to the height that you have risen to or become, uh, you know, I think Penn & Teller is kind of a household name, even if people haven't gone to the show in Vegas. Well, but And, and so that I, I love that because in my mind, as a, an ignorant kind of uh, viewer, you know, magic to me, in my mind, was this very serious, this very dramatic... Yeah, grease you know, a guy in a tux with a lot of birds torturing women in front of Mylar. <laughs> <laughs> you put it so eloquently. There's your next book. Uh, but, yeah, so when I saw somebody doing, being mystical, you know, making things appear out of nowhere, but not only that, uh, pulling back the curtain, that was uh, that's what well, I thought you. was amazing, you and, know? And Piff, you know, has been... Uh, Piff's one of my closest friends, and uh, he did. He's one of the first people to be on Foolish, and uh, from there he went to. You know, America's Got Talent is a direct. There's a direct pipe pipeline from Foolish to America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent bookers call up and say, "Just do the same thing you did to Foolish," because they don't consider Foolish a real show. Nobody saw it there, so come do it at our show. Uh, I don't something? think that's a, you're. You're They're putting right. that. You know, that's not the truth. But, uh, I think people see it, but it is kind of like, and I'll speak to anybody who's. A musician or any comedian or whatever, just because it was done once doesn't mean it's right. not worthy of being done again. And I would think the same thing should be reciprocal where, I don't think this has happened, but you see a magician uh, on we, AGT, we you did, put him on Fool Us and you go, do that again. We actually, not the same thing, but Matt Franco yeah. was on, was on uh, America's Got Talent before Fool Us. Right. He was on there first. Shin, Shin Lim was on our first, and uh, Piff was on the See, first. my theory, and I'm not taking, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, magic, it, like comedy, I feel that there are, you know, maybe 10 illusions or, you know, it's mm -hmm. how you, you know, it's like there's sure. five jokes. It's always it's always the same. How do the you song. present them? The how do you make something disappear and appear someplace else? How do you get inside my head? And those stories, those brilliant little packages, and I, I can't tell you how many times I have seen for lack of a better term, because I'm doing Canada's Got Talent at the same time, and I've said to Does, people... Do they? Yeah. Oh, good. I, I do good. that. Oh, dude, does Canada have talent? Yeah. You're asking a Canadian. Yeah, I know. You look at me and I'm answer asking. that question. Well, where are you now? <laughs> we travel. Canada's got okay. travelers. Okay, okay. You know, you got Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, William Jim Shatner, Carey. Jim Carrey. Oh, Howie Mandel. Doug Henning. Doug Henning. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Bieber. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> and are we? Are we all? 
But Gary Gilmore, American. 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 You got him. Just do it. Of course. So, But what I'm saying is, I can't tell you how. States. I should not say American because Canada is also North American. You know that my people are all from Newfoundland. You know that. I did not. Yeah. I'm I'm essentially a Newfie. When you say your people, uh, where do you have Grandfathers. Oh, wow. Both sides? Nope. A grandfather and grandmother were uh, on my, uh, my father's side, Newfoundlanders. I forgot what I was talking about, but it's good you to go saying, to Newfoundland. You're going to do, you're gonna do uh, No, I, I'm doing it, and I can't tell you how many people I have seen do something, um, a very good, um, well-defined um, magic mm-hmm. uh, or illusion. You have to take a call? No, I don't. Putting it on silent. Okay. Um, uh, now you're putting it on silent? We've been Sorry. On silent. I thought it was on did silent. Did you not know you were going to do a podcast today? No, I did. Okay. I thought it was on silent. It wasn't. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> the point is that do something. I know that even if it was sleight of hand and they did something that I know took many, many hours of whatever it takes to practice. Practice. But they have no game yeah there's no you just bored me to death with the best illusion i have ever seen i don't know how i can see this illusion and something that appears right in front of me just disappears and changes and you bored me yeah you know and that is such a it's always the singer not the song it's always the singer not the song that's a good that's a good analogy and uh and uh piff i just thought that that hunk that he did on there was just Everything went just right. And you were just beautiful. You played it just great. One I, of my I, favorite, uh, uh, what, are you knocking now? <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry, I get, this, I I get distracted, really. Why, why are you bringing attention to me? He, uh, me, <laughs> I, I, I became, I don't know that we're close, except I love you and I would love to be close. And if I lived in the same town as you, I, I would uh, beg to come in, because I can listen to you for hours. But I became uh, more knowledgeable of your persona and who you were in real life when we did uh, the movie. He did that movie. Uh, the Aristocrats. Uh, the Aristocrats, which is, if you haven't had a chance to see that you gotta don't see it. I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to keep it from my children that I did that movie. Really? Why? Because my children are teenagers now, right? And my children are uh, uh, any sort of um, any sort of slur or anything, any sort of obscenity. They don't even like people quoting it. So I just, whenever the aristocrats comes up in my house, I'm going to go, <coughs> yeah. Because it is the antithesis of political correctness. It is, it is. And the idea was a, uh, a celebration of something that's really gone away now, which was the, uh, the really intense, shocking joke. That was never really told publicly, except by never. Gilbert Godfrey. Right, by Gilbert. You know, uh, at, at a, uh, but it was never told. It's this filthy, politically incorrect, dragging on how wormhole of crap that you could yeah. get into and just let, and, and that's what it was, one joke. And I thought it was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Penn's idea was to have, everybody knows of our of yeah. our generation. Of and, our generation. Yeah. yeah, I don't think young comics know this. Knew what that joke was. And he just went from comedian to comedian to comedian. You had, how many comedians were About in? About 100. 100 different comedians that you would know from. Uh, and all, all terrified of Gilbert. I remember we were shooting Robin Williams and Robin goes, uh, how, how good was Gilbert? I go, 
really good. He goes, I, I, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have to be in after Gilbert, are you? I said, you'll be fine, Rob. And he goes, oh, Gilbert, ah, scared everybody to death. <laughs> but it was great to see Robin. Oh, oh, I don't know, I don't, <laughs> no, it's, you'll be fine, Robin. But it was Robin. It was Saget. It was yeah, uh, and, name and, and, and Gilbert and Drew Carey and. Uh, a lot of old timers too. A lot of uh, generation uh, above that too. You know, Jay Marshall and and people like that, and um, Johnny Thompson. And I still think it's a classic. Gordetsky. Yeah. Yeah, but it's going to be. But it, right now, that is the antithesis of what. Is. And of course, George Carlin. Yeah. Uh, George Carlin, uh, uh, Stephen Wright. Uh, a lot of uh, really great people. But I got to come out and visit you in Vegas, and your house was. You don't live in that house. No, we drove. It. We drove a tank through it. A real tank. Yeah, I I couldn't drive it. I wanted to drive a tank, and I should have known this. But uh, Polish tanks from the forties, uh, you have to be under five four to drive. Oh, you were just too. It didn't <laughs> fit you. Were you. Too tall. Is this on video? I think we talked yeah. about this last time yeah. we talked to you. Yeah. Well, let's put up the video. Yeah. The video of uh, the, the tank going into my house. See, the why did you do this? The land uh, turns out if you build an absolutely psychotic house and then you get married and have children your children don't want to live in the middle of a desert in a fortress for a crazy person it was a crazy house but a, a wonderfully live, crazy house. they want to live in a gated community where friends are right so we had to move somewhere what was the craziest thing in that house well, there, there were, there, there were sexual accoutrements. There were hidden rooms. Without those sexual accoutrements, those children wouldn't be there. Exactly. Right. There was fire poles that you could slide down from yeah. one floor to another, and um, there was the themed mansion. Is that what it is? Uh, I don't know. Is that what they're called? The slammer. It's called the slammer. The there it slammer. Is. There it it's is. A beautiful picture of the slammer right there, and um, uh, so the land it was on was worth more than the house. Because Vegas was being developed, so they said we're just going to tear it down. So I called up. Uh, they said they're just going to tear it down. Oh, the uh, people that bought it. Bought it. So I said to the people that bought it, if you're just going to tear it down, can I just destroy it? And they said sure. So I called up Adam Savage from uh, MythBusters, and I said, how hard is it to blow up a house? And he said, wicked hard. It's really hard with the zoning. He zoning. Said, <laughs> uh, but he said to, to, to blow something up. It's a lot of work. And I said, uh, okay. Uh, well, they have, there's tanks in Vegas. They have a place where you can drive tanks for, you know, psychotic people who are it's Vegas. Yeah, they're uh, insecure about their penis size. Whatever, whatever reason they want to drive a tank. Really? And um, so uh, I said, well, I could, we could drive a tank through. Wouldn't that be cool? So we called up the tank guys. But here is perhaps the funniest thing. I talked to the zoning people and said, I, I want to drive a tank into my house. And they said, well, you need to get permits for that. And they're going to be hard to get. And I went, oh, that's a drag. They said, but if you do a PSA for us about people giving permits, we will give you a permit. <laughs> so I did a PSA that played in Vegas that said, hi, I'm Penn Jillette. I'm about to drive a tank into my house. See if, if there's you a Penn Jillette, just... see if there's a Penn Jillette PS, uh, Vegas PSA uh, uh, video. Is that, mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, let's it's see what PSA. it would. PSA with the tank. And I did the PSA and uh, during the time they were driving the tank and it worked out very well. Everybody was very, very happy. And how do you think that helped the, uh, the, uh, the local authorities that uh, I think the truth. I think the truth of the matter is that they wanted to see me drive a tank through my house and wanted to justify their jobs. 
you know. But there are jobs, but there is actually a permit that has to be written, which you should have framed if yeah, I was you. Yeah, yeah. Did you have it framed? I th we have it somewhere. It's in the file. But who gets a government permit that says we are allowing on this date between these hours for the owner of this property to drive a, a tank through they had the house? To bring the tank on a uh, on a you know a flatbed with an 18 wheeler and it had to move through Vegas slowly and there was a tag there and then uh, of course a a uh, a fellow of small stature who had to drive it had you did person. did you know that you couldn't drive it before it got there uh they said you probably have trouble, and I said I can squeeze in, and then I saw that I could not even fit through the top of it. The gentleman that, or woman, or wh whoever. I think this is it. There it is. <laughs> oh, let's, see, let's hear it. This is the PSA. Oh, that's the tank going through. Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> Never fear, Magic fans. They're in here uh, somewhere. Oh my gosh! But don't try this at home. There's no secret to building permits. Even I need them. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Was there any emotion in watching this go through? Because there was such joy in this house. I loved coming we, to the we, house. Uh, yes, yes, of course, there always are. I wasn't there for the sexual accoutrements. But you, uh, that you knew of. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there was that time that we just kind of. I know, saw the swing in your room. You know, yeah, you saw that. Yep. Yep. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but there, uh, uh, it was, you know, Bob Dylan says, don't look back. And I think that's really accurate. You have to move on, move forward. And uh, it was emotional. But I'll tell you, uh, when I, you know, I, I had a big, beautiful apartment in New York City. When I moved from Manhattan to, to Vegas, I stood there in the door and said, you know, kind of goodbye to my apartment and goodbye to my life in New York. And then started up when we started our run in Vegas. And uh, this would have been uh, more melancholy but once you invite a hundred friends over and you have drones and cameras all over and you're wearing a hard hat and there is a god damned tank, there's so Just many a, other a, a emotions. A damn tank. A damn tank. Yeah, I heard. Since there's all that other emotion, it's it's kind of fun. You know, you kind of go and people say, Are you could I, you're not really, because a lot of people showed up and said, what's the gag going to be? Not my close friends, because my close friends know if there's one thing about me, I don't bluff. I just don't bluff. No, I know that. So when my when I told my friends, you know, I called a friend in Vermont, so I'm going to drive a tank through my house. It wasn't like he said, really? Or you mean a real tank? He just said, oh, what date? I'll see if I can get a plane out. What did your wife say? Oh, she she was help. She was very helpful in planning. Helpful in planning the tank because <laughs> yeah. she wanted. Uh, That's very, what a wife should do. Very much to be living in a rich person gated community house with, you know, where she could know I people. I know, but you are you're so not your image is not that picket fence community kind of. Now I live actually, but to give you an idea, right down the hill from me is Santana, so that's also where Santana lives. Oh wow! So it's it's kind of okay. Carlos Santana. I know. I, I bring cookies over, you know. To Carlos. No, I don't, but it, it's, I think about it. And I, oh, you know, what I really want is I really want just once to hear his guitar play. So I can go, oh, God damn neighbors playing their goddamn, you know. Just, Are you going to be oh, up on stage? Va. Are you going to be up on stage soon? Is is? Uh... I was just on stage this past week because Teller had. That's what I'm saying. That is Teller coming? I was not with Teller. You know Michael Carbonaro? 
Yeah, yeah the Carbonaro effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did we did uh, four shows filling in for Teller. We did Pendulette, Michael Carbonaro, and we'll be doing that over Christmas. And then Teller will be back starting in 2023. At the Rio? At the Rio, at the conveniently named Penn and Teller Theater. Wow. Very, what are the chances? I know. <laughs> that is I such know. a coincidence. If we were at the David Copperfield Theater, would my face be red? Yes. But we're at the Penn and Teller Theater. We're do you get along? Uh, do all the magicians? Are you a David Copperfield uh, I friend? get along. David Copperfield and I, we've known each other, what, 45 years? And there have been ups and downs. Because he been... is that consummate serious. Yeah. But not offstage. Do you, do you know Otto and George, the ventriloquist? Oh, from yeah. New York? Yeah. You know where oh. you know where George lives right now? The puppet now that Otto's dead? No. In Copperfield's museum. Oh my god. And, so and he had I, a sense of humor. I I begged him. Copperfield has memorized all of Otto and George's act. And Which I, is also politically incorrect. Oh yeah. And I, but Otto's dead now. And I've said to I've said to David, I've said, David, you're the only one. Do a do a tribute to to Otto to Otto. Otto Peterson, do Otto and George with a real puppet just for like 50 of us and take everybody's cell phones away. We'll all deny it happened. I just, cause you know, when Copperfield and I are together, he's doing nothing but lines from Otto and George constantly. Wow. And uh, I get along very well with David now. There were times when I would go on TV and say incredibly cruel things about him that he would call me up and at three in the morning and swear at me and threaten me. And I had it coming. I was completely, he was in the right, I was in the wrong. And there was one time, oh, it was so awful. He, he said to me, I said, David, I, I gotta stop having you yell at me for things I say. He said, listen, just don't mention my name. Do all the jokes you want about anybody you want, just don't mention me. Then you and I can be friends, it'll be over. Promise me? I said, I promise you. The next day, I was doing one of these gangbangs, you know, you do an interview where you have like 50 journalists like on. Like a junket. Yeah. And you're on the phone. Right? Yeah. And it hadn't started. It hadn't started. And the interviewer who was going to do it with me when it hadn't started asked me a question about Copperfield. And I had a joke that I thought was really good and really funny, and I said it, and 50 journalists wrote it. And they picked it up and published it. And Copperfield said to me, it's like talking to a junkie, isn't it? <laughs> you, you have a serious problem. You cannot, you promised me, you swore to me you wouldn't mention my name, and less than 24 hours later, you go on AP. <laughs> And Rolling Stone and everywhere doing this joke about me. And I said, you're right. You're, you're just right. We should call him now I and couldn't. say, do you know what Penn just said about you? Do you know what Penn just said about you? But since then, uh, but even when he was mad at me, we were in the same social circles, you know? Right. And uh, you know how that can be. And, and uh, I remember one time uh, uh, he... I said something about him on Stern, right? Mm -hmm. And he calls me up and says, maybe this is like professional wrestling and we should just fight publicly. Wouldn't right. that be fun? Good for both our careers. I said, yeah. He said, uh, uh, you just said this about me. Then he said, what should I say? I said, oh, I'm You're writing right. both sides of this. <laughs> and he said, yeah, do you have a joke for me? I said, yeah, when they ask you about it, say, uh, which one said that, the blowhard or the dummy? 
Just say that. So Copperfield said that. And then I went on Stern, and uh, they asked me about that. And then I said, yeah, I wrote that for David. And David <laughs> called me and said, no, that's not part of how we were doing it. That's not part of how we were doing it. That's hysterical. That's a great behind-the-scenes story. But uh, uh, we, we get along very well now. His new show is wonderful. And he even appeared on Fool Us. So, we did the scariest thing. You've never done this on America's Got Talent. You've never it? done this. Uh, we decided, and I tell you, I did it because I thought it would be that people would enjoy it. Okay, I did not it? think it would be as hard as it was. I called up David and said, David, you're the best magician in the world, most famous magician in the world. Would you come on Fool Us? He goes, I'm not going to try to fool I said, no, no, no. Would you be a judge? And would you let Teller and I try to fool you? And David said, okay. So we did a show where David Copperfield sat in our seat. So let me just explain to our audience who watches that, you know, if you haven't seen the show, and I watch the show, I'm a big fan of the show, they sit in a seat, magicians come on, and they, they are charged with, if they can't figure out how the magician did whatever the magician did, then they win, right. right? And it's about 12% of the people who fool us over 10 years, you know, uh, hundreds of people. But I'll tell you, I knew it was going to be hard. We worked so hard to come up with a trick we didn't think Copperfield could figure out. And then it was amazing. Allison Hannigan, who's the, who's the MC, um, she came out and said, our next, you know, our next act is... I've been working in magic for da 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 It's Penn and Teller. And to judge them, we have David Copperfield. And we stood there, you know, with our pockets loaded and stuff to do. And I looked over at Teller, and his hand was just doing that. Shaking. Shaking. <laughs> and I said, I have complete cotton mouth. I, I can't talk. Get me some water. I said, I have never been this scared. And uh, it was incredible because... Uh, you sit there in your little judge's seat, and you have all the empathy in the world. You say, man, it must be hard to come out here, and these people are so nervous. But man, until you've done it. And then we also, later years, I did a trick to try to fool Teller. Teller did a trick to try to fool me. Unbeknownst, we surprised, which was really great. I'm sitting in the seat, and um, uh, Teller Teller has gone, gone out to go to the bathroom, right? Right. And they say to me, we're just going to do the introduction without Teller because we, we'll get the reversals on you later. I said, okay, let the act start. That's fine. Just to get Allison's intro, then we'll stop tape and go on. So Allison goes, uh, our next performer has been a professional magician for 48 years. He's worked in Vegas, and he credits his partner one meeting. Oh, sorry. He credits meeting Penn Jillette with starting him on his career in professional magic. And I'm sitting there going, who's that? Who'd I meet that long ago? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Teller. And there's Teller. There was just this incredibly beautiful moment. And uh, it's so scary. Now, have you ever said on America's Got Talent, listen, put some in my seat. I'm going out there and see how no, I do it. No, I don't have that kind of nerve. <laughs> Did you fool oh, uh, uh, Copperfield? Uh, the, the Copperfield thing was very, very confusing. He had one part of it we had another part it went on for weeks on the show i think we said that we did not fool him no yeah we did not fool him 
that Copperfield won. Right. As we talked later, weeks later, we were saying to David, did you have this part? And he said, no. So it was, it was a hard so call. he fooled you <laughs> yeah, yeah. into thinking that he had fooled. And since then, we did it once more. We did it with Piff and Mac King, tried to fool them. And it is, it's just terrifying. It's terrifying. And, uh, uh, you know, I would love to see Simon Cowell get up and sing. You know? Get up and sing, Simon. Put another... He would not fool anybody. <laughs> but I would be... I always say for comedians on AGT, you know, as, as I give... I, I really am a um, kind of a, a proponent because I don't think people know what it takes to do comedy, mm. you know? And they just think it's a funny... You know, just somebody just without any preparation getting up and doing something and they're usually followed by you know they're following somebody who has uh mm -hmm. you know a team or well, 20 dancers or go my, ahead my dad used to say to me you know i was playing on broadway i was on broadway and my dad my dad was a jail guard and then later in his life a coin dealer he had no no uh intersection with show business whatsoever never met anybody in you started business. on broadway uh, no, no, it didn't start on Broadway, but my dad was coming to see me on Broadway. Oh. I've been starting a lot of other places. So we were doing the Penn and Teller show on Broadway, and right. I sent a, my parents are from Western Massachusetts, and I'd send a limo for them, like you would if you were on Broadway, right. for your mom and dad to come down. And my mom and dad were fairly elderly at that point. And um, my dad sees the show, and then says to me afterwards, he says, you know, I think you should put more juggling earlier in the show so that people know you can do something. <laughs> and I said, well, Dad, a lot of people are impressed that, I, that I, I talk for the whole show and make jokes. He said, yeah, it's impressive that you can memorize all that. <laughs> you should let the and my dad, I will t tell you, and this is very important to say, was completely supportive. I had a perfect relationship with my dad. He loved me more than anyone ever has. He was—he never got the memo of unconditional love from the father. I had a perfect relationship with him. I am not laughing at him not being supportive. I'm laughing at his lack of understanding. Understanding. Yeah, he just—he just thought, well, of course, Ped's going to be saying all this stuff, but shouldn't for the Broadway audience he come out and do? some of that good juggling because of course my dad had seen me juggle since i was 12 and loved me juggling and the idea that i went 30 minutes of the show and didn't juggle my dad was going like well, these people are going to wonder why they're here <laughs> <laughs> that's so adorable it really is you are an amazing uh, human being and as far as you know i i think incredibly astute at humanity magic entertainment and uh, I also think I've, I've seen you live many, many times. And when you're in Vegas, you have to go see Penn and Teller. I'm talking to the audience now. You have to buy the book random. I'm now very intrigued. I, hope you I like love. It. I, I hope like that it. concept. What is the idea behind that? It sounds like a great story. Do you ever try to um, go and pitch those to be made into uh, like a movie or? Uh, I started out. Uh, uh, it's too long a story how I, how I actually started this book. It's like 30 years ago, but um, I pitched it and sold it as a TV show. But you know how show business goes. You sell a lot of things that. They don't actually do. And uh, then I sold it again, and they didn't do it. And then the lockdown came, 
And, uh, you know, Ivanka Trump said everybody should learn a language and write a book. So I did. I do everything she says. Uh, <laughs> but I decided to sit down during the lockdown and finally write this book instead of trying to sell it as a TV show. And, of course, the punchline is now several companies have come to me and said, you know, that book you wrote? That could be a TV show or a I movie. I think so. And Every go, week he rolls the dice hmm, and has a well, new. You'll see. Maybe new... it should be done by Howie Mandel. I'd be, I'd be, I'd cast me. <laughs> read it. Read I it. would. Love, I'm going to definitely See read it. But like. when you told me that, that seems like look at we're, we we're, we're watching. We're watching. I'm Quantum Leap is on. Yeah, and yeah. That's just. But this is this is based more in reality of how somebody could possibly live their well, life. See if you like it. We text each other now and again. You'll yep. text me. You'll. I'm going to definitely if, read it. If you read it, you'll. you'll but everybody it, should. read it. It's also available uh, the audio book if you want me to tell the story to you. Did you read it? Did uh, yeah, you, it's yeah, your voice. I, I did, yeah. Yeah. Some people and, have know, other people do I it. I promised myself. You know, I, I've done, I've written nine books, and I I think I've done most of them. I've done the audio book. And I promised myself, and you've done this too, promised myself no hard words this time. No hard words. Did you, but you don't I, live up to your promises, says David Copperfield. I, exactly. I wrote a book on, you know, when I lost 110 pounds, I wrote a book about that, and I had a lot of the science in it, and I had all these hard science words. So I'm writing random, and I'm going, okay, I'm going to have to read this aloud if I sell it. So I'm going to be really careful. And then I'm reading it, I'm in the studio, I'm doing great, and I come up and I go, why did I put in the Latin word? for that animal. That doesn't need the Latin. Why'd I throw that in there? Jesus. But I was better this time. But that only took like four takes, you know, because when you do, you read your book, right? Yes, the audiobook? I did. You had a guy from the audiobook company right. listening in, right. correcting your pronunciation in your own book. Of my own words. Yeah. And I try to tell him, well, I'm from Western Massachusetts. So garage has an SH at the end of it. I'm sorry. It's garage. And I do say, hey, uh, instead of yes, now and again. You know, so. I got I, I I feel you because I did uh, one of my entrees into acting was Saint Elsewhere, which took place. Sure, uh, it was supposed to be Boston, <laughs> you know, and I'm Canadian, mm -hmm. so I can't tell you how many times they would yell "cut" because I said intestine yeah. instead of intestine, mm -hmm. you know. So th those accents and the way people say things were very yeah uh, yeah. And Canadians, you got that, you know, you got that is a whole dialect. It and is. Western Massachusetts is a whole Newfoundland is even well, different than Newfoundland. I, I couldn't even. I, you know, I go up there now and again. It's a beautiful oh, place. It's, it's gorgeous. If you don't I, know, isn't that where the the survivors of the Titanic didn't they end well, up? Or the, the, the the best thing about Newfoundland, or one of the things that makes me cry the most, is the nine eleven story. Oh, that's uh, that play. Come isn't from that away. a play? Come from away. Yes, yeah, the musical, and uh, you know these this. All these people get stranded in Newfoundland, greater than the population of the town. And they took all they these made all the planes land from all over the world. And uh, the, the play is wonderful. I, I was sitting next to uh, my children watching it, and we, we'd already seen it live on Broadway, but we were seeing it again on some pay-per-view thing. And my children turned to me and said, "Dad." It's only been going on a minute. You can't be crying now. And I was, I was sobbing uncontrollably. The idea of that kind of kindness given to strangers destroys me. My heart just gets totally broken. There's nothing more beautiful to me than that. So I took my children up to Newfoundland to meet some of the people who took these people in. I said, these are people who, you know, someone couldn't get out on an airplane 
Some of them did not speak English from all over the world. And these people said, listen, live in my house, eat my food. We have no idea how long you're going to be here. And they didn't take them in like, I'll take that person, that person. Anybody who wants can come to my house and live here as long as they want. And they wrote songs together. Yeah, well, I saw they, the musical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's a uh, there's a there's a, there's there's the Newfoundland knock knock joke. I which don't know is, it. Knock knock. Come on in. Doors open. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are truly amazing, buddy. Well, you really you. are. Thank you so much for coming in. Always a pleasure. Anything you ever want from me, need from me to show you know, up anywhere. You I, know, this is the crazy thing. People say that all the time. But I, and you have said that to me several times, and every single time I've asked you anything, without hesitation, you said yes. Always. You mean it. And you know how rare that is in show business. I don't. But I, you know, I'm, I've surrounded <laughs> myself you, by really it's nice you. people, it's and you. those are the people that I connect with, and I've connected with you, and I wish we uh, saw each other more often than I we do. We, did too. We'll, we live we'll in two different cities, but we, we'll should, work on that more. we should do something together, and I cannot wait to read random. I can't wait to you see know, the next season of Fool You know, of we Fool also Us. have JJ here that was here to do... Uh, to come tell jokes for us too. Oh, JJ is a is a. Uh, do you like being roasted? <laughs> well, uh, not particularly, but I can take a punch. You want to take a punch a, from I'll a take, from a young child? I'll take a. So punch. JJ was on. Uh, he's from Australia, and JJ was. Uh, 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 Look at the JJ is a, a roast comic from Australia. Hey JJ, how are you doing? I'm great. Let's put the mic close great. to you. Oh, okay. Hello, Mike. You're close to me now. All right, good. There you go. How old are you now, JJ? I'm I'm now officially ten. Like, officially, officially, officially. Who officiates this? <laughs> well, um, it was when my birthday was. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're from Australia. What are you doing here in America? I'm well. I actually I ju I was just in Louisville, Kentucky, filming. A film called Unsung Hero for about five weeks. Um, it's about the Smallbone family. If you know them, you may recognize. You know the... what he's talking about? Wow, we found something that <laughs> Penn doesn't know about what he's talking about. It's a miracle. What? It's. I said it's a miracle. That he doesn't know? <laughs> yes. Oh, there, the roast begins. There, there it is. You watch so before we YouTube? close, uh, you want it, we'll end on your comments. What is uh -huh. your comment? Go ahead. I just wanted to say that you're a genius, Howie. Thank you. You can close right now. Thank no, you. No, no, no. You got more. There's more. There's more. No, There's no, more. no. Play the, play yes, the music. No, don't play the music. Play the music. Go ahead. Howie is Howie. I just want to say.